2: Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that street wear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
0: You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. go to shopify.com slash bof to take your retail business to the next level today shopify.com slash bof
3: actually the future in some way is frightening and therefore we should go back to a time when it wasn't frightening which is a very odd and slightly naive point of view how have your views changed though i mean i've, I've always liked the idea of moving forward i've never been comfortable with the idea of looking towards the past. Why are we stuck to this idea that actually the best way of showing a piece of clothing is, a, is a, still, a still photograph or still image, when actually it's a thing that moves and has sound.
4: What do you see happening to magazines now? Hi everyone, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. This is our latest episode of Inside Fashion and I'm pleased to welcome this week Nick Knight the transformative fashion photographer back on the 27th of November 2000 way before anyone was streaming runway shows before Facebook before YouTube before the rise of the internet Nick Knight launched the website showstudio.com and He was one of the first people to really see the power of the internet, the power of technology to connect with image making in fashion. And he also understood that digital, digital technology, inherently an active and social and transparent world could transform fashion itself. And he opened up the closed fashion system to all of us who were watching and, and waiting to become part of this industry. So while other people may have ignored or dismissed the importance of technology, Nick was one of the ones who saw about how technology could catalyze a revolution in fashion. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Nick to talk to me a little bit about how he sees fashion and technology evolving as we're living through this transformative um, period in the industry and also to talk a little bit about how else fashion photography is changing. Nick has always been someone who's also supported emerging fashion talent and emerging image makers in our industry and i will talk a little bit about a new award for emerging fashion filmmakers. So without further ado, here's Nick Knight, Inside Fashion. Well good morning Nick. Good morning Ron. How are you doing?
3: Good, thank you very
4: much. Do you yeah. know, I think the last time you and I sat down to have a chat
3: yeah.
4: was back in 2010.
3: Really, that's rather frightening.
4: Do you remember that live stream conversation we did? Yes, yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. was way back in the early days of BOF, and so much yeah. so much has changed and happened since then in, yeah. the, in the
3: land of fashion. And I'm, but it zips by. I mean, yeah. It hardly seems like yesterday.
4: I know, right? So. But that was... Almost eight years ago.
3: Yeah. Incredible. Kind of incredible. I tend tend not to look back if I can avoid it. Time travels too fast. Yeah.
4: Um, But I'm so glad to have the chance to speak with you today uh, for our Inside Fashion Podcast because on this podcast, we try to talk to people, you know, all sorts of different people from inside and outside the fashion industry to understand, you know, everything that's going on. And I just wondered, um, you know, how... How have you been making sense of this, this, per- this intervening period? You know, back in 2010, yeah. when we had that conversation, um, the fashion industry was just coming to terms with the idea that there was this thing called the internet and there was this stuff yeah. called social media. Yeah. And I don't even think Instagram was out
3: yet. Probably it wasn't. Not. Yeah. It's around that sort of time, yeah. but it's probably So
4: what's, you know, what, what do you make of everything?
3: Um, I mean, it's funny that the fashion industry, which is a fashion industry based on a predictive art form. So they're saying, you will want this pair of shoes next year. You will want this coat next season. So it's a sort of forward-looking industry, which then seemed really odd, because actually as a whole, not completely, but as a whole, the fashion industry was quite bad at picking up on the internet and everything that comes with that, um, which is sort of strange. I've always found it to be odd. And I remember when we first started Show Studio, which is way back, Now, it was almost 20 years ago.
4: November 2000.
3: November 2000, it's our 18th birthday. Um, Coming soon. Um, It it seemed to be almost like the fashion industry weren't going to engage at all. And I remember people at some of the mainstream magazines, I've nameless, saying, oh no, we, we don't do that sort of thing. We don't do tech. And I think that attitude stayed for a long time. And I think the sort of slight aversion to techiness which is in the, was in the fashion industry, sort of delayed the uptake of it. Then, of course, they got swept up in the whole thing. You know, If you've got somebody like Kim Kardashian, who's got like 100 million followers on Instagram, you can't just ignore that. You, know, you can't ignore the fact that your models have more followers than your magazine sells. You know, all those sort of things change the dynamic. So I think they were, the fashion industry, some people, people like Gareth Pugh, you know, were very quick to sort of pick up on it and see its potential. Alexander McQueen was another one. Um, but some people, I, I think it was less the designers and more the sort of, you know, the sort of magazine stylist kind of that department um, which, who didn't really get it at first and felt it was something perhaps they just didn't want to get their heads around. Um, I remember being told back in 2000, "Oh, we only really send faxes, that's all we do.
4: So <laughs> I actually
3: took the idea of Show Studio to, again I'll be delicate, somebody very well placed in media. Um, and they said, oh, no, 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 we don't want to do that. We're looking at, in- we're looking at terrestrial television, very interesting. No. Anyway, um, so, yeah, it, it was an oddly um, sort of a lack of a take-up from an industry which is forward-looking. However, now things have changed, and now I sense that actually nearly all of the industry, still not quite, but nearly all of the industry is really excited by it and really seeing the potential. Um, so, for me, it's just an ongoing set of possibilities. Every time there's a new bit of technology out there, it opens up another door. It shows you you can do things a different way and whether it's virtual reality or whether it's AI or robotics or whatever it is, they're all possibilities. You know, your robot will want to be better dressed than my robot type department. It's kind of, you know, all these things are going to, as they crash down upon us in great cultural ways, which AI, robotics, virtual reality all are, certainly AI and robotics, you know, they're going to usher in hu- or usher in, sweep in huge changes in how we work with each other, how we communicate, how we live our lives. Um, and I think the—I try not to get too deep too quickly—but I feel that there's a, a, a huge change going on culturally, globally, a massive change. And sort of, you know, digital age is now upon us, and there's a huge, re- a larger, ref- a larger revolution—an industrial revolution. It's it's a fundamentally different relationship we have to to each other as a species now. We can talk to people across the other side of the planet freely. We can communicate freely across barriers. All all that, on the whole, um, is totally new. Um, Therefore, it's bringing in a massive, I think, a really massive social change. Um, And with change, there's always a few people who are frightened of it and then look back to the past in a sort of reassuring or false reassuring kind of way that, oh, it was better you know, when I was young, it was better, let's make America great again, Brexit, all those sorts of things. Where they look back to an imagined past as if A, it was a real past, which it wasn't, and B, that it's something that's applicable now, which it isn't. Um, And I think you see that across a whole range of issues from fundamentalist religions to, things like Brexit and Trump and all those sorts of things, which are obviously very, very very, different examples of it. But there is this sort of feeling that actually the future in some way is frightening, and therefore we should go back to a time when it wasn't frightening, which is a very odd and slightly naive point of view. And I think that's actually, although it might feel like it's a huge part of what's happening in the world, my belief is it's actually a very small part of the general human desire to move forward people on the whole want to embrace something new and they do for a very specific reason is it makes their lives better. Um, People aren't on the whole suicidal um, or fatalistic, you know, as a species we're pretty good at developing and pretty good at sort of changing for the better, that's what natural evolution does. You change towards a better state and because we're very intelligent beings, I'm talking about humans not you and me, but in general (laughs) we are a very intelligent organism. you know, we do tend to modify for the better. We're going to get to a better place. We're not going to headlong and sort of go over the cliff. So I'm actually very optimistic about change. And I think the reason we're seeing such pronounced reaction against change um, is something that, if, if in a way, sort of belies the enormity of the changes happening to us. Mm. Alvin Toffler, in his books Future Shock and Third Wave*, back in the 70s, pronounced this, sort of said, you know, there will be this massive social change, and it will, and it's, it's not going to be smooth. Some people are going to look backwards, and some people are going to be reactionary, and some people are not going to want it to happen, because it upsets the status quo, and it hmm. makes them feel uneasy. Um, that's a lot of big cultural theories, based on the question about what, whether the yeah. fashion industry is sort of adapting to social, social media or not.
4: It's really interesting, though, because I would never have drawn a line Between you know the election of Donald Trump, Mm. the disastrous vote of Brexit to leave the European Union, and the reluctance of the fashion industry or the established kind of established part of the fashion industry to change, but yes, you know this this idea that somehow this romanticized or nostalgic idea that somehow things were better before it does play a role in all of those things. But you've always been different, Nick. You mean you've you. You know, when we when we did that chat before, we talked about your journey from yeah. studying medicine yeah. to becoming a photographer, mm-hmm. and then at some stage back in you know in, in very very early on in the development of the internet, really seeing the potential of this new medium.
3: Yeah,
4: how have, how have your views changed though, as as your understanding, as our collective understanding of the internet has 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 developed
3: and I mean, evolved? Weirdly, they haven't changed a lot. The possibilities that I saw just 20 years ago seem to be materialising rather than me changing my opinion. So the idea that we wouldn't need fashion shows, that fashion film would become a dominant force in showing fashion, those are things that I thought would happen 20 years ago, and now they are happening. Um, so it's not that my views have changed so much. It's more the possibilities that I hoped would happen are happening, um, and I feel very excited. I didn't, um, I mean, I've I've always liked the idea of moving forward. I've never been comfortable with the idea of looking towards the past. Um, So this is a a beginning of a new era. So I guess the sort of energy which is moving us forward is still with us. Um, I think we're still just seeing the tip of the iceberg. We're still living a lot of our lives based on the sort of media constructs for the last sort of 200 years. Well, for
4: example, fashion shows are still happening. I've just mm. come back from four yeah. weeks of yeah. fashion shows. Yeah. Do you still believe that films can replace them?
3: Yes. Um, I don't think fashion shows are around for very long. I think fashion shows and weirdly, um, you remember back when we first broadcast a fashion show, which was Alexander Queens, Plato's Atlantis. Yeah. There was two people at the time that approached show studio to do it. Uh, a live broadcast of a fashion uh, show at that time. And other than the kind of weird little slightly anonymous Helmut Lang thing that went some years before that, it was the first time a live fashion show had ever been broadcast on the internet. So, And the two people were Alexander McQueen and Burberry. Um, Burberry went their own route, and of course I had more sort of relationship with Alexander McQueen, so we did it with Alexander McQueen. Um, And that in a way showed a completely different way the fashion industry could communicate, instead of communicating to 300 journalists um, and to sort of selected buyers, it suddenly realised it had a potential of a huge audience. Within the space of whatever it is, six or seven years since then, now most fashion shows are live and most people are consuming the content of those fashion shows live as they happen.
4: or afterwards, as recordings of those shows. Uh, yeah, exactly.
3: So they're, recording, they're, they're being presented more as just filmic events. Right. Um, there, was a, there are a small, people, small number of people that still go, Your, yourself, my son was there, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the show as an event still is possible. However, if I was a young designer now, and I'd meet a lot of young designers, I really, really wouldn't advise them to start showing a collection in but that way. how do way, they reach the market then? Via social media. So people like Gosha Rybchinsky, um Reach social media or use social media and have a huge amount of fans. Um, if you look at the model for things like Supreme or Palace or whatever, they're not showing catwalk shows, but they have a huge amount of fans. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, loyal following. And people like Gosha really don't need the conventional fashion press. I'm totally happy if Vogue want to interview them, but that's not where their fans are, it's not where their sales are coming from. Um, and they just, they just don't need it. So the idea that these fashion shows have to go on, for me seems, yes, I can understand if you're a big house like Gucci or Dior or whatever, it's a, thing that, it's a sort of established way of doing it. But if you're a young designer starting out, you know, it's, not, it's not true. You, you, you do not, and should not in my opinion, be embarking on a sort of line where you, you, know, you have to show your, your, your collection in the form of a catwalk show, mm-hmm. and then have to show at the London showrooms in Paris. These, this advice that a lot of young designers get, I think, is crippling them financially and pushing them into a sort of a set of you know, a ways of doing things, which A is out of date and B is bringing financial ruin. You know, a lot of young designers are finding it awfully hard to stay alive because they're on this awful system of kind of showing a catwalk show. Was actually, if they had a good set of pictures that went out on the social media and it was a good place you could go and see those collections items some website, that would serve them much better. Um, than having to troll up and down a, a piece of white plastic on a floor. So, so you
4: don't, you know, if uh, if you're a buyer, and you know as a young designer has attracted your interest, perhaps through social yeah. media, like an yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram show, or you know, yeah, or or yeah. whatever it might be, yeah. um, you don't think the buyer even needs to see the clothes in person before they buy them?
3: Sometimes no, sometimes you don't. In any case, um, but that doesn't mean I have to see them on a catwalk, they can go to a presentation, right. they can go to a showroom, but it doesn't have to be London showroom. So you it's could still good. physically see the You clothes. could still physically see them. Yeah. But I mean, I think a lot of people are buying clothes, you know, Like we're using example of Gosha without seeing them. So I don't think you have to, I don't right. think it's paramount. I think if, that's, if it's a choice between doing a catwalk show and going under in three seasons because you can't afford to go on anymore, or surviving and actually starting to build your, building your business with a different role model, a different sort of way of doing it, I think that's an option I'd advise people to do. I think the old system is—it feels out of date. It feels wrong, and it feels very ecologically. It's completely wrong because so we're flying lots of people around the world when they don't have to be flying around the world. Economically, it's wrong, um, and also it just doesn't feel very modern or exciting. It feels like it's always been. So there are two ways you look at this. You ever say to a young Zain, "Okay, do a," you know, a set of little. You know, almost what they, you know, people are going, walking around in a circle on on your iPhone and put that on there. You can see how the clothes move. You know, you can see that's that's what you need to see. You do need to see the clothes moving. It's better than a set of stills. Mm -hmm. Um,
4: Which brings me to another question I had, which is you've always argued since mm -hmm. the kind of first um, arrival of fashion film, which you obviously played a huge part in in bringing to the industry, that fashion films... You know, clothes need to be seen in motion because, you know, that's how they are in real life. And that still imagery doesn't allow you to see that. No. The still image has been relatively resilient even throughout this technological disruption. Right. And, and one might argue that actually we see more still fashion images than no. we've ever seen before. No. How, how do you think... Has your position on that changed at all at this No, scene? it's
3: got even more pronounced. Okay, <laughs> so tell me about that. Well, you have to take it back to when a designer creates a piece of clothing, they create that piece of clothing to be seen in movement. We can't argue intellectually that the best way to see it is as a still image then. It's not what the designer wanted it to be seen as. So why are we stuck to this idea that actually the best way of showing a piece of clothing is a, is a, still, a still photograph or a still image when actually it's a thing that moves and has sound. So I can't, just because fashion and film isn't where we'd all like it to be yet. Just because photographs are still the currency in um, a lot of places to articulate fashion, does not mean they're the best answer. It just means that we're at the beginning of a new medium. Fashion photography took 50 years or so to get going. When uh, Conde Nast first introduced it as a sort of replacement for fashion illustration in about 1910, he got two photographers, Alfred, Steichen, sorry, Edward Steichen and uh, Baron Adolf de Meyer to be the sort of, you know, the, you know, these bringers of this new medium. 20 years later, there were still two photographers doing it. still Baron Adolf de Meyer, and there was still uh, Edward Steichen. Brilliant photographers, I grant you. But it wasn't a huge influx of people. Um, it took until, I guess you have Avedon, Penn, Birchstern, um, the sort of 60s, and the end of the 60s or all the beginning, to really start to crystallise fashion photography. And how we recognize it now is the art form we recognize it now it goes through all those kind of gentleman photographers the Honigan and and the kind of george flat lines and the Horst, and all those guys who are slightly kind of you know not exactly how we see it now but actually the kind of role model that we've been working with for the last 40 or so years as fashion photography was kind of crystallized in the 1960s that's 50 years after it was invented now i know things change faster now because of social media however fashion film is gaining more and more currency i used to get booked as a photographer and I would people would say to me, well, I want you to do 10 photographs for our advertising campaign. That's how it used to be 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Um, now, I get booked and they ask me to do a film. And sometimes, but only sometimes, ask me to do some photographs to go with it.
4: Or some stills from the film,
3: too. So some stills from the film is often how it is. In fact, it's the job I'm doing in CERN um, is more or less that. But it's now almost, almost 100%, the client will ask for film because they know it's a currency. It's, they know it's a thing that will give them traction that people want to see. So although there are still a lot of photographs around, and you mustn't think that I don't like photographs. I do actually what I trained in for 40 years and what I love. However, I like the challenge of inventing a new medium. And fashion film is, does need inventing. And part of the reason to, to do the award in the festival, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, is to sort of crystallize a vision of it. Um, fashion film is a strange beast is actually slightly misleading to call it fashion film. It's just clothes and movement. It's just a piece of clothing moving, that's all mm-hmm. it is. And you very kindly said that we had played a very large part in bringing fashion film to the world. I would agree, and I hope I don't sound arrogant by saying this, no, I mean, but it's I can't, true. I can't sort of find a, a more humble way of saying it, or a more self way. But before Show Studio, there wasn't a platform for fashion film anywhere in the world. Great fashion photographers like Richard Avedon or Blumenfeld or Guy Bourdin had experimented with film because fashion photographers, like all artists, experiment across medium. Um, so they all picked up their you know, Super um, super 8 or 16mm or whatever it was and tried to see how they could film what they saw in front of them. Blumenfeld, back in the 1950s, took it to his client, which I think was Sachs, um, and said, look, there's a new medium called television around. You know, we've got to get this... This, you know, we got to have some moving stuff on television. I thought didn't quite take him up on it and he had produced a lot of very beautiful fashion films that, of course, never had a platform. And the same thing is true for most fashion photographers. Um, uh, Terry Richardson's father, um, you know, he made a lot of fashion films, you know, but they never went anywhere because there was no platform. So therefore, the art, the art form never really existed. Cinema, conventional film, is so hopelessly out of time with the fashion cycle. The fashion cycle, as we both know, is even being generous three months now. Um, but certainly, a, a film would take three years to create, promote, release, etc., etc. So that's six seasons out of date by the time the fashion is in it. There are films that are important to influence fashion, but they are not fashion films. They're films with fashion in it. A fashion film, in my opinion, and my very strongly held opinion, is a non-narrative piece. Yeah. Um, which is the other thing you've held on
4: quite no. strongly. Why should there not be a narrative in it? The narrative in a fashion
3: film comes from a piece of clothing. So in you know, a Gareth Pugh or uh, uh, whoever you care to, to, to name, creates a piece of clothing, they've researched it, they've thought about a woman who's wearing it or a man who's wearing it, they've put lots and lots of time into creating the vision, the narrative in this piece of clothing. You know, I used to work a lot with Yohji Yamamoto, and the, my approach to Yohji Yamamoto's clothes was to simply stand them in front of a white background and see what stories they told. The narrative that comes out of a piece of clothing, look at the... the, the the creations that Ray Kalkuba is putting down the catwalk, they're so full of reference, so full of stories, so full of narrative. The same thing for Gucci, the same thing for Prada. They're imbued with stories, they're imbued with references, they're imbued with narrative. And then to sort of ignore that and slap over some mundane narrative which is totally relevant to the clothes, then you turn it into the clothes become wardrobe, which is the, film, the term used in film. The clothes are no longer the subject. The subject of a fashion film has to be the clothes. So the narrative should come, if anywhere, from the clothes. If you think about a great fashion photograph, this example I always use, which is a great photograph of um, Twiggy jumping across the background or Verushka jumping across the background in a Richard Avedon studio, and it's just that moment where you see the sort of encapsulation of you know, desire and kind of you know, style and uh, allure and all those great things that Avedon's such a genius at capturing. You know, that's what's delivered. You don't need to know where she's going, where she's been, who her boyfriend or girlfriend is, what's going on in her life. That's not the point. The point is you're delivering this almost like a sort of burst of fashion energy, this desirable thing that you think, oh, I never knew I wanted that, but now I want that. Right. So it's a sort of emotional predictive thing you're delivering. I think people have, un- have heard the term fashion film and then gone slightly rather uh, obviously, oh, film, so we need a film director. It's about a film. And they go to Hollywood films as a reference. And so they get in great directors like Wes Anderson or David Lynch to direct films for them they're great directors, they're not fashion filmmakers. In the same way that you know, there are very, very few fashion photographers in the world, there are ultimately perhaps ten every generation, and I'm being really generous at that, who make fashion go round with their imagery. The same thing for fashion film directors. Therefore, it's a very peculiar beast. Therefore, just because you're a great director, like a Wes Anderson or a David Lynch, does not mean you're a fashion film director. Uh And even more than you're a great photographer, like Sebastian Salgado, does not make you a fashion photographer. He's not Helmut Newton. And you know, they wouldn't book him to do the, you know, the Gucci campaign because he's, that's not his thing. It's not his way of articulating. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird thing to be a fashion photographer. Such a weird eye. Such a weird obsession with clothes and with models and with fashion and with the transients and all of that. That's such Only very, very few people in the world articulate that.
4: Can you give us an example of one fashion film which you think embodies all of the values that you were just talking about, that really, if someone wanted to understand what, at least in the world, according to Nick Knight, is the kind of quintessential fashion film, what is
3: it? Well, that's like saying which is the best fashion photograph in the world. Um, There are lots that are trying. Obviously, the things that um, Gareth, the things, sorry, the films that Gareth has done, firstly with Ruth Hogburn, and I did one with him last year. They are very good examples of a designer articulating their world through film. And Gareth Pugh has been very instrumental, very strong in pushing the idea of having a film rather than a catwalk show. Um, so, Gareth, you could look at very easily and say, so, okay, this is great fashion film. He's, he's a good example. He's a modern designer. He has a very strong vision of women. His women are powerful. He's not looking for a narrative in his film. And his films aren't fast, they're not 30 seconds. These are 17, 18 minute films. So they're shorts. You take them to, a, to a Sundance, they're a short film. Um, I don't think that it has to be a short film. I don't think it has to be 18 minutes long. And that's part of the problem we have with fashion film. Nobody really knows its length. Is it an animated GIF, or GIF as they're called? You know, is it sort of just repeated six frames? Because if you take the Avedon example of the girl jumping across the background, if you imagine Avedon six frames after that or prior to that, then you have that coat moving and you have her hair moving, and that big plait moving. You know. That's all of a sudden is a fashion film. It's it's six frames, it's an animated GIF. And that's just close in movement. So I think part of the problem that fashion film faces at the moment is it's having trouble defining what it is. You know, Mm -hmm. for a while, Instagram would say, okay, we can only show 15 second films on Instagram. And therefore, 15 seconds became the length of a fashion film. Then Instagram said, oh, actually, you know what? We can do a minute now. So fashion films will automatically go, go longer. And it's very hard in some fashion But keeping
4: someone's attention for 17 minutes mm. on the internet in today's age, in the age of the feed. Yeah. You know, and I, I agree, Instagram and some of these other platforms play a really strong role in defining what the appropriate yeah. length yeah. should be. Even without those constraints, like 17 minutes of a solely visual film of clothing moving... It's hard to capture someone's interest, especially now.
3: It is. It's it's a hard skill. Fashion filmmaking isn't easy. It isn't a simple swap from photography to fashion, to to film. I did the Gareth Pew film last season, um, season before last, um, which was shown at the IMAX. Um, I looked across. I obviously went to the show to the, to the premiere of it. And I looked across at the end of it, at the audience, as the lights came back on before I walked down, the stage, down to the front of it and with Gareth and, and sort of took a bow. And everybody was there with their mouths opened. So we'd managed to keep their attention and keep them emotionally on the edge of their seat for 17 minutes, which, as you say, is really tough. But
4: how do you do that on a phone
3: where most people are going to see these videos? Well, you, you use what's appropriate for the medium. So all fashion films do not have to be seven minutes long, seventeen minutes long, but some can be. Okay. So I think you use what's appropriate. So the
4: medium is really important. So like you can't say a fashion film needs to be a
3: certain length. It depends how it's being shown. Exactly, and that's the difference between a fashion film and something like a music video. A music video had a very when MTV came around at the beginning of the eighties, end of the seventies. It was kind of clear that this new medium of a music video. Was something that was exciting a bit like fashion and film is now in my opinion less exciting but anyway and um, was a new thing it was a new artistic genre but it was very well defined because it had a particular length and you saw it on a particular place so you didn't nobody had phones nobody had phones that had f- uh, film on them. so you saw it on television and it was the length of a song and a song was three minutes so that's how long it was so it had its parameters really defined when you have a new medium which is so revolutionary and so exciting as fashion and film is but has no defined parameters mm-hmm. of yet And actually the parameters of even the the idea of showing a film is changing. Because if you're doing something in virtual reality, it's interactive. Mm. So is it a film anymore? If you're doing something that has artificial intelligence in it, the storyline, the the narrative, the, the proposal is changing depending on the individual. So all these things are completely, you know, technology is advancing so fast that this new nascent medium is having trouble finding how to define itself because it's shown in so many different ways. And in so many different places. Mm-hmm. So it, it it is slightly having problems by the fact of the speed of change of our culture.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,
2: With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Sure.
4: I wonder, you know, you're clearly still um, very passionate about fashion films, which is amazing to see because it's, it's been one of, the, like, one of the consistent things that you've been <laughs> hammering home about for years. Especially now, when, mm. when media is changing so fast. Yeah. And if, as someone who's shot many, 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 probably, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of still images, yeah. if not millions, the, the key medium for those images has always been magazines. Mm. And now, arguably, most people see imagery mm. on their phones. Yeah. What do you see happening to magazines now? Oh, I see the death. The death of magazines.
3: The death of magazines, <laughs> No, that's a dramatic thing to say. Yeah. But I don't see that they're continuing, certainly not as they are now. I mean, I think it's totally, totally, totally acknowledged by the uh, magazine industry that they don't know what to do with themselves. You know, the sales figures are all dropping. Um, all of the big organizations, again, I'm being diplomatic by not naming them, all of them are saying, you yeah, know, this is over. I've spoken to so many different editors, very well-known editors, who are saying, it's finished. There's no longer a possibility for magazines to continue. They continue at the moment because it's not a good replacement, because the fashion industry, as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, is still catching up with the digital age, um, but they are all finished. They no longer have a place in our world. Um, my children, who are all now in their 20s, but I said it before last time we spoke, grew up in a house full of magazines. None of my children open magazines, because why would you? They're actually not particularly nice as objects. They're large and heavy, you wouldn't carry one around with you. Um, They don't work particularly well to deliver the information within them. They're very, very limited in terms of what they can actually say compared to what you can see on the internet. Um, They're just no longer the medium to show fashion. The magazine, I should be a bit careful what I say. I'm talking about the fashion magazine. I'm talking about the way that fashion photography was promoted by a magazine. It was the best way to create fashion photography. In the middle of the 80s, there was a big change-up within the content of fashion magazines. And people came on a scene and thought, actually, these are too artistic, we want to make them more businessy, we want to make them sell more, we need to get rid of all the complicated artistic stuff and have ready, easy to understand fashion photography, is uncomplicated, and it's girls jumping across puddles looking over their shoulders, and it's all very happy and clappy, and nobody's going to be bothered about it because it's fine. That's not how fashion photography came about as a medium. Fashion photography became about a medium because it was an exciting medium for young photographic artists to get involved in. They were encouraged to use their imaginations. They were encouraged to show things. They were encouraged to be artists. They were given two weeks to create a set of 10 images. They were championed as important people within our artistic cultural society. That's not the change around it came in the 80s. Photographers were relegated to sort of, almost back to sort of tradespeople. They were not championed in that way. Photography, fashion photography was not supported as well as it had been in the magazines. Look at how long you get to take a series of images now. You know there'll be, If you go to work for a magazine, you're lucky if you get two days, not two weeks as Richard Avedon did. If you have an imist- industry which is based on things like the great imagery of Richard Avedon or Cecil Beaton or Munchaski, these were guys that were given the support by the magazines and the power and the money to do it. If you have a situation where you're asking a photographer to create 30 images in a day, or 20 images in a day, it's just not possible. Of course, it's possible, sorry, it's possible, but those images are not gonna be great images. Therefore, you totally undermine the art form of fashion photography. Therefore, what's the point of opening the magazine to look at it? If you've underfunded it, it undercreated it, and under supported it, why do you ask people to look in a magazine to see something they've previously seen three or four months ago live on Show Studio or live? on whatever internet site they care to go to. They've already seen it. Most times, they've already bought it. So what's the magazine's purpose of coming out three months later saying, well actually that Gucci piece of clothing that you own already, here it is again. So by a photographer who's got both hands tied behind his back so we're not gonna give him any money and we're not gonna give him any freedom to do anything. Mm -hmm. I should just go on to say that I think the printed page is still beautiful. I think the printed page is still really interesting. And what we're seeing now is very specific, very low run, printed imagery i people will spend a lot of time on a printing they'll make it just how they want to etc etc so different formats are coming out i'm talking about the magazine that we've had as a center of sort of you know showing photography for the last sort of 50 80 years but i think i wouldn't want people to think that i didn't think you know, the idea of putting ink onto paper was redundant. I think the printed page is still beautiful, but not the system the magazines run. And they run to a system where they are so in bed now with the advertisers as to make it almost impossible for anyone to express themselves. You could not say to somebody, actually, you've got to do a full look or it doesn't count. What's the point of having a stylist? A great fashion stylist was somebody who would get a bit of vintage, who would go through the collection, decide what piece they want, mix them all together and create a new vision. That's what made it exciting. That's why people bought magazines. If you just say, not actually, for well, a
4: full look. Imagery. Not for a
3: full look. And we all we both know that you know the advertisers go through and they do a point system. I look through the magazine and say, okay, you've got a full look here, you get one point. Oh, you've got full look here, you get point. Oh, you only got half look here, you don't get a point. And at the end of the, end of the season, the advertisers sit in front of the magazine editors and magazine advertising people say, well, you've only got five points this season, so we're not going to place our ad again. So try harder next season. And that's how the system works. And that, in my opinion, is artistically corrupt.
4: Mm-hmm. The other serious threat to the field of fashion photography has emerged over the past few months with reports of the poor treatment of models and other people working in the industry. And I I just, I wondered as an observer, uh, and someone who has been a key part of the creation of some of the images in this industry over the past few decades, what you make of all that? that's happening, this reckoning in the industry?
3: I'd be very careful how I answer this because it's ongoing. It isn't something that's been concluded, although it's pretty conclusive. Um, so I'd be, I should be very careful how I answer it. I think there's been a very unpleasant uh, role model set in fashion. I think the sort of Cruella de Vil type fashion editor, the idea that actually you have this sort of haughty lady who can sneer at people, can call in terms of bursting into tears, can be almost sort of, you know, uh, totally uh, uncaring for people's happiness. The sort of Cruel de ville, based slightly on Diana Vreeland's kind of thing, that sort of image of the fashion bitch or the fashion, uh, you know, is not healthy. The idea that you can sort of lord it over people, the idea that you can, you can make people unhappy just to get what you want, I think humanly is wrong. Um, I don't really... It can express itself in lots of different ways. Um, and I think there's, there is, and I've always disliked it in fashion. And when there's, there's been times when I've pulled back from fashion and thought I don't want to be part of it anymore, which has happened. Um, it's because I haven't liked that attitude. I haven't liked the idea that people think it's fine to be cruel, that it's fine to be unpleasant, fine to belittle people, fine to make people feel small or irrelevant. Everybody on a photographic shoot is important from the assistant's assistant, to the hairdresser, to the rigger, to the person that's loading the film, to the photographer, to the model. Everybody's important and everybody's equal. There isn't a hierarchy. If you don't have a good assistant, you won't get what you need. If you don't have a good model, you won't get what you need. You know, to make a great fashion photograph, everybody on that set is important and everybody's equal in my mind. I mean, to be honest, I take that completely throughout life. I don't look down on anybody. I don't look up to anybody, but I don't look down on anybody. Everybody, in my opinion, is equal, or So why be.
4: has this gone on so long, Nick? Like, why, why?
3: I think you have different things. You have an industry which isn't very open, which is partly why I started Show Studio to open the whole thing up. Um, the industry has been very close and working behind closed doors, partly because most people were not interested for a long time. It was a kind of preserve of ladies. So it was a slightly sort of marginalized by a male-dominated media. Um, so it wasn't taken seriously because of its, you know, feminine looking, um, um, you know, the, the idea that it was something for women. So that was, you know, taking back to the 1950s. 50s, that's probably how businessmen would treat it. Um, then it became obvious that actually it is a business and businessmen started to get involved. Um, and I think it's, you know, for a long time, it was a sort of closed, closed field, you know, nobody really saw inside it. A lot of people didn't even want to look inside it. You had on top of that a sort of something that I, Again, I've always hated um, the idea that fashion photography is a way for the fashion photographer to articulate their sexual, free, their sexual preferences. In the 1960s, there was a huge sexual revolution. The women, had, uh, the women had the pill for the first time. It was pre-AIDS. And you have throughout the 60s and 1970s a sort of sexual-free bubble. So you have sexual, high, highly encouraged sexual activity across all artistic cultures. So whether it's painting or whatever it is. So you have this sort of idea that the fashion photographer takes on David Bailey or his character in Blow Up is somebody who, you know, who's screwing the models, who's doing that. It's a very sexualized medium. Then you have the 70s that come in with a sort of slight kind of reaction, not to that, but a sort of more sort of taking that into, onto a different level with Helmut Newton, Guy Bourdin, Chris von Wagenheim. Incredibly sexual photographers, and you have photographers who think it's their job—the herbritzes, etc.—who articu- who are, are encouraged to articulate their sexual desires through their photography. So you're attracting a sexualized photographer to the medium, and that becomes a thing. I remember when I first started, it was everything I hated. I remember sitting down with Andrew McPherson, who is a lovely and a great photographer, and arguing in Paris in a cafe passionately how much I hated Helmut Newton. I was young, and one's very arrogant when one's young but I hated it. I hated it for the reason I had no desire to express my sexuality <laughs> through my photography. and I didn't think it was relevant. And also by then, by the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, which is when I appeared on the scene, it had become such a cliche, such a sort of carry-on character was a sort of Lothario photographer who was just basically doing it so he could screw the models. So, but that becomes so repulsive to me. That it's everything I didn't want. So if you look at the first images, I, I, images, images I produce, the things like the red coat for Yoji Amoto. Amazing. And for me was the first designer that I worked with that I loved. Because he didn't say to women, you have to show your bodies to be termed beautiful. Yoji clothes were about a woman's poetic spirit, her intellectual spirit. They were not about her cleavage, her waist, her neck, or any other part of her body. It was about a woman as an intellectual being, as a powerful intellectual being. And I fell in love with that vision of Yoji So I worked my first, part of my fashion career, I worked very strongly with because those are the values I had. So we're stuck with a a problem that we've encouraged, or historically we've encouraged people to express their sexuality through their photography. It's something I completely have always not agreed with. And you're stuck with an industry which was closed and things were going on behind closed doors. So it's a difficult industry, really, because then sort of Open everything up to and say, kind of, actually, this is what's going on, and it's fine because people don't understand it. They don't understand photography. They don't understand the fashion world in any case, and there's a huge dislike for it because people don't understand it. So I think it is tricky times, but I think it's very good that things you know one doesn't want this sort of behaviour, and I think it's you know if it can make a fairer and better um, industry, that's, that's what everybody wants. Um, That's, of course, what everybody wants because I don't want to live my life where people are badly treated in any form. I don't want to find out that people can be shouted at because they do the wrong job or that they can be made to feel small. That's never, ever how I want to have anybody around me doing that sort of thing. So I think you've had a lot of sexual or reports of sexual uh, bad behaviour. I think there's an awful lot of bullying that goes on. I mean, physical bullying that goes on in the street, which I think is abhorrent. Yeah. And I've seen that and witnessed it, and I think it's awful. Yeah. And I've heard about it, but it's very hard in Rand to do anything about it. You, know, you hear that somebody's, somebody's, somebody's doing something revolting, like tying somebody to a chair and throwing things at them. That's somebody quite well known. And you think, wait a minute, that can't be allowed to happen. That's assault. Yeah. So it, you know, But where do you go? Do you go to the police? Do you go, where? And then you,
4: you combine that with the fact that some of these people
3: have so much power and and say screw the power yeah i don't think it matters i think in the in the end you just have to do what you think is right yeah um power is a funny thing it's very misleading it's like money it's not necessarily healthy.
4: well the power structure is shifting which kind of brings me to my next point which is a new generation of image makers and you know um, i was really interested to read about this Fashion Film Festival you're holding here in London in November. It's the second year for the film festival, but for the first year, first time you're giving out a big award or a series of awards, I think. Can you talk a little bit about
3: why you're doing this now? Oh, it's a celebration, to be honest, Imran. It's a joyful thing to do. Um, and part of the reason I started Show Studio, it wasn't the sort of thing well, I speak a lot about, sort of, I was upset with the fashion industry because they were racist and because they couldn't put women of any particular size, you know, there was only one. So I, get very, I got very cross in the 1990s, having worked in fashion for 20 years or so, that that was a thing, so I started Show Studio. But that wasn't the reason I started Show Studio, I started Show Studio, because what I was seeing was exciting. And I wanted a place to show that. 20 years further on, I'm still incredibly excited by fashion film and by what we do at Show Studio. It's a joy and it's a celebration of that. So it's a sort of way of saying, look, come and see how exciting it is. Come and see what it's like to work with a set designer. Come and see what a hairdresser really does. Come and see how to make a fashion film. Come and see how a model really looks amazing when they move. Come and enjoy it. So it's a, it's a, it's a celebratory festival. It isn't a lecture series or it isn't a kind of, oh, a, yeah, there'll be talks and everything else, of course there will be. But it's not a sort of, it's not a, it's not something that, you know, I don't think because you do a festival and Vogue do a festival, but it's not in that way, it's similar. Our, what we're doing is something which feels the sort of thing that Show Studio would do. It's very experimental, it's very uh, pushing all the edges, it's very, um, it's, I want it to be fun and I want it to be a celebration. Um, and I want it to be something that people come away feeling inspired about the future. You know, it's really a sort of motor to make people think actually you know there's a fashion's great we can do some amazing things with it. you meet a designer like you know gareth Pugh, or rei kakubo or you know any of the designers that you and i know and love they're fantastic to be around these are people that create great visions so you can come actually interact with that and be part of that and the idea that you can make you can make work yourself so you don't have to have a, a film crew of 50 people around you you can pick up your phone um, and you can make a film, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the, getting people to understand what an important part that sound plays in fashion film. We haven't talked about it much in this conversation at all yet, but that's such a part of it. Yeah, Half of it's visuals, half of it's sound. And people don't really realise that. They think, oh, I made, you know, it's just about, they take the idea that it's just about making an image and they don't think about the sound. The sound's so important. The sound on a fashion film will turn a fashion film, you have a 30 second fashion film, it can, with the wrong sound on it, it can feel like it's 30 minutes, it just drags. With the right sound on it, it can sit by like that. Sound completely changes us, our emotional reaction to film we see in front of us. Think about the number of times you burst into tears at a film. It's the sound that does it, it's not the visuals. And so sound's incredibly important. So getting people to come and interact with sound so it's, it's very much the idea that we're saying to people, look, this is what we think fashion film is. It's the sort of pinning our colours to the mast as well. It's saying, like, it's not this, it's not this, it's this. It's this exciting medium. This is what we think will happen. And also, you, know, you, you want to have a festival where people really come away feeling excited about the future. And excited about all the things that are happening to us. Exciting, excited about AI. Not terrified of AI. You know, excited about the digital revolution and its possibilities. Excited about using your film. Excited about the fact that you can start your own, your own Instagram and you can all of a sudden that's launched your brand. You know, I see people on Instagram now. And a lot of the models, nearly all the models that I use now are from Instagram, like people I found on Instagram. And that for me is changing the balance of power, opening it all up. You know, before the model would have to go through this kind of awful thing of going to model agency and sending their card around and going on endless go season, blah, blah, blah. And now they create an Instagram site. You know, people are looking, they see it. And, and also, you get to, when you're booking a, when well, you're getting a model that you see on Instagram, you get a person, you don't get a model card, you actually get a person. So you're not getting some very beautiful, but completely, um, you know, unknown girl from Latvia or from Mississippi, you're getting somebody who you've seen on Instagram, you've seen their world. I mean, you know. So I think we're heading towards a much better situation and we need to celebrate that. You know, I think fashion's going through a hard time now because it's having to. You know, the world's going through a hard time now because it's having to. Because it needs to change and it will change and so will fashion change with it. Um, But I think somebody needs to celebrate it and not be terrified of it.
4: That sounds really like an amazing thing to do right now when there's so much, as you say, difficulty in the industry. how can people get involved with this competition for this award? How do they submit films and what are you looking for?
3: Go to Show Studio, look at our submissions page. Uh, we will be putting in the brief in there. But basically what we're asking for is a fashion film that is between 30 seconds and 15 minutes long. Um, and then we will work out which categories it falls into. It could be a 3D animated film. It could be fashion illustration moving. It's just clothes and movement. Um, we'll look at sound. Or we'll listen to sound and look at that and that should have an award so there are different awards given for different things i think you if you want to do a fashion documentary send it in we'll consider that as well it's a way of talking about fashion but we're looking for fashion films which articulate what the clothes are about create a fashion film which actually makes the clothes a subject so that's what we're looking for it's as i said and i to tell you very clearly and i'll repeat it it's a non-narrative piece i do not need a story told to me When we did our first Fashion Film Award two years ago, we had over 600 entries that came in from all over the world. And the funny thing is that you'd think that the the people who were best at making fashion films, in general, from all the entries we had, were the Russians. Russian fashion filmmakers were brilliant. And it's because their history of cinema actually is very expressionistic. It's not narrative. Sadly or weirdly or whatever it was, the Americans are not so good at it because they always go back to their history of cinema, which is so narrative-led and so deep in their culture. Cinema in America is so synonymous. You know, America's expressed itself so well through its cinema, but it's always been in a very, very narrative way. Um, and I think Russian cinema is very different. So when the entries came in, we noticed nearly every Russian entry that came in was actually a pretty good fashion film because it didn't apply the narrative. And ne- conversely, nearly every American fashion film that came in, not everyone, but nearly, we're all narrative based and therefore suffering from the problem we've been talking about. It's very, very interesting. So really I'm just looking for people to make great pieces of moving fashion. That's what a fashion film is.
4: Okay, last question. Yeah. Image making and fashion is still hugely important mm. and powerful and there's so many different media, so many different ways to express yourself. So if you're, mm. if you're someone, a young person, interested in fashion image making, mm today, mm. in, the, in the midst of this digital disruption. Mm. Mm. What's your advice?
3: I well, don't see it as a digital disruption, um, but uh, I think we, we also have to understand a little bit, and I hope I'm going to be answering your question and saying is we have to understand where photography stops and image making starts. It's a very, very different medium. Photography and fashion and photography, specifically specifically we're talking about, kind of stops with digital age, which starts in about the mid-90s. There are a series of parameters that very easily define photography. Um, if you explain to somebody from Mars who would never seen photography before, you could explain it by citing a set of parameters that would link um, Maplethorpe to um, Avedon, to uh, Mybridge to Agate to all the photographers, they're linked by, by the same parameters. Once you have a digital uh, way of making images, that all, all those parameters shift. I can now pick up my mobile phone, I can take an image of you Imran and I can change the shape of you by moving my hands across the screen as if your image was made of wet paint. Now that's no longer defined by the, by the, the, the parameters that define photography. So therefore we have, and that's just one example, I can also print you out as a 3D shape. You know I can animate you, all those sorts of things are possible doing the same thing from my mobile phone. Now that's a new medium, and it's distributed globally, instantly. That's got a new distribution system, it's a new method, etc. It obeys a whole set of different parameters. My argument is, we say photography is defined by these parameters, so let's say that's a great art form, it's not what any of us do anymore. So let's be realistic with the art form that we use. The art form, we, the art form that we use now, I think it's best termed as image making, because it takes in sound, it takes in film, it takes in 3D, it takes in all the things that we can do now at the touch of a button not on our phones. And I think that is, if you go to a concert or an event now, a fashion show or a music concert or whatever it is, everybody holds up a phone. And that's the way that people speak now. Whereas if you went there 40 years ago, nobody would be holding up a phone, or certainly nobody would be holding up a camera, let alone a You phone. weren't allowed. You weren't allowed. Yeah. I remember going to, so I started off as a music photographer when I first came out of college because it was one of the few places that would employ me. Um, but there were very few photographers and they were all on stage with the band. There was nobody in the audience that took a camera. Now, if you go to a concert, every kid in the audience has got their camera. So you're
4: basically saying anyone can be an image maker.
3: Yes, but anybody can be a writer. Right. They just need a pen.
4: Right. And everyone has a phone now, so everyone can create an image.
3: Yeah. It is the same thing, that the, the access of the ability to create an image and publish it is now much more democratic than it's ever been. And I can only think that that's a really good thing. Um, I think in the same way that people all can now write, and they all have pens, and they can all write down their thoughts, and that's a really good thing. And I think, you know, trying to restrict it to say, actually, you know, we shouldn't have so many images coming out. I actually don't feel that we're bombarded with images. People are always saying, oh, we're bombarded with images. But actually, you and I walk down the street, you know, we'll still notice the, the autumn leaves coming. We'll still notice the reflections in the puddles, you know? and it's. It's those moments that are about when you want to perceive something. You're not bombarded with stuff. It's just there, any more than you're bombarded with the color of the cars around you or bombarded with the color of the sky. You are receptive to things when you want to be. People will see beauty when they want to see beauty.
4: Well, on that note, Nick, thank you very much for popping into the BUF headquarters here in London. My pleasure. Uh, I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. That was inside fashion with nick knight for for this week's episode on the business of fashion podcast if you enjoyed this conversation please take a couple minutes to um, subscribe to bof on your favorite podcasting platform leave us a comment um, post a link on social media using the hashtag inside fashion and tell all your friends about this new exciting way to experience the business of fashion Uh, in an audio way Uh, and uh, for those of you interested in um, hearing Nick Knight's vision for the future of fashion film, go back on YouTube and find, we'll share a link in the description of the talk that I did with Nick back in 2010. Both Nick and I looked a lot different back then (laughs) Um, but uh, the conversation is a timeless one and and Nick's, uh, Nick's viewpoints and opinions And ideas on the future of image making have always been of great interest to me and all of us here at BOF. So, thank you to Nick. My pleasure. uh, And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Um, Stay tuned for the next episode of Inside Fashion coming to you very, very soon.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits.